Hey everybody, this is Jen and this is Conversations About Adoption. It is National Adoption Awareness Month, or as I like to say, Adoptee Awareness Month. Um, just a brief history of it, which I'm sure everybody knows this, but just in case for those who don't. Um, it originally started in, I believe, 1976 in Massachusetts when Dukakis was the governor and um, he wanted to bring attention to foster kids in need of care that were in the system. And so he started an adoption awareness week. And then uh, 1984, Ronald Reagan declared a national adoption awareness month for the same pre reason, except just over the country instead of within a state. And then traditionally the Saturday before Thanksgiving is considered um, National Adoption Day where judges and families try to get adoptions finalized before the holidays. Um, so much about adoption in modern society or in all society has been focused on the wants and needs of adopters instead of the actual children who are being shuffled from one home to another. Um, and often from our perspective and seeing what people have to say on social media about the kids, about adoptees, it's like an afterthought. You see those videos where people are just meeting their adopted child in the hospital when they're a newborn. And all the comments are about the parents, the adoptive parents. The only people acknowledging the mother and the child are the adoptees in the comments, or the first parents in the comments. Not to be overgeneralizing, but this is just my experience of what I've actually seen go down. And it's crazy because somebody like me who's an adoptee and other adoptees I know that speak out about adoption, um, unless you're holding lives all the time or you're controversial and get into arguments with people, in lives and things like that it's really it's even for them it's a battle to get a lot of followers but you know an adoptive family will put up a video of them meeting their child and boom it's viral like what is that there are channels on tiktok that are all about these adopted families and blended families where They've got their own bio children and they've got these other children they've adopted. And those accounts will zoom to like hundreds of thousands, if not over a million followers with very minimal effort because they're using kids as content and kids are cute. Yes, the kids are not supposed to be content. Somebody asked me about that on TikTok, like what's the best way to do that? And you know, I'm okay with posting pictures and videos of your child on your personal profile, like your own Facebook or your own Instagram, if it's private and it's only for family and friends to see. But to make content basing it on your child and to overshare your child's story, especially if they were adopted or from foster care, I mean, turn around and put yourself in that position. And how would you feel about somebody sharing your story and not only sharing your story but sharing it for clicks and likes and follows and all that it's really fucked up 
And that's the reality of the world we live in now. And those of us who are directly affected by adoption, we try so hard to speak on it and people don't want to hear it because society has been indoctrinated by this propaganda of adoption is inherently good. It solves everybody's problems, but it causes problems too for adoptees, for first moms, and for adoptive parents because they're not properly equipped. You know, there's no mandatory trauma-informed classes that, in my opinion, it shouldn't be just one. It should be, like, at least annually to update with the newest information and to keep it in the forefront of parents' minds that you're dealing with a child that has experienced a trauma and you need to be trauma-informed. They're not equipped with the same information that those of us spend educating ourselves about adoption or living it and they don't want to hear from us like adoptive parents should hear what adoptees have to say regardless if if their experience is different from you know somebody they know who was adopted what they think was going on or their own adopted child story because whether you like it or not no matter how different our stories are there's a similar vein in that it all starts from loss our lives from the get-go start with loss and only in a society where kids are a commodity do you see actual orphans being given sympathy and empathy for their loss and condolences and understanding and adoptees have to suck it up because it doesn't matter we have a family you know it's been replaced the original one nobody wants to acknowledge that loss and um yeah so that's my rant for adoption awareness month and i have taken the wise suggestion of a adoptee mutual on TikTok who is indigenous about uplifting indigenous voices and since this is November and it's the month of a big old colonizer holiday I thought what a perfect opportunity to uplift the voices of people that you know have indigenous roots so today's episode I'm going to be talking to Jenny um, she is on TikTok as Bella Tora and a lot of other places. She explains at the end of this podcast how she got her name, which I think is really awesome. And, um, it was a really great conversation. We did talk for a long time, but that's the beauty of podcast apps. If you've got to stop it because you got to go do something else, you can always resume where you left off. So as always, um, uh, make sure you're subscribed so that you're notified when my, mm, irregular and irrational postings happen because there's no rhyme or reason. I'm sorry for that. Um, my life is what it is and doesn't afford for me to be on a regular schedule with getting podcasts uploaded. So for those of you that understand and follow me anyway and listen, I so appreciate it. So, um, without further ado, I present my conversation that I had with Jenny and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Okay. Progress. Got it. It gave me an option to leave the meeting. <laughs> yeah, it does. It didn't used to do that, but I think since um, the 
pandemic, they give that option, you know, and some people don't realize they're being recorded. There must have been issues with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I am glad to finally be talking to Jenny, who is a friend from TikTok and um, an adoptee who has shared recently some very. Uh, when was that? When was that trip with your mom? Uh, I I had the trip with my mom to Copenhagen in, I think, July. So it was in July. Okay. With yeah. your first mom. They, oh my God. I just, they were so heartwarming. The video of you and your mom hugging, I was like in bawling like a baby. Oh my God. I had no idea that that video would snowball so much. I it's mean, so full of emotion. Yeah. I I didn't get the idea to record the moment until basically I pulled out my phone. Um, and I first actually wasn't going to post it at all. I was just going to record it for me. Yeah. And I, you know, I and for my mom and I recorded myself. It was actually about a three minute recording because I saw her, but from really far away. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to turn my phone on. So I turn it on and I'm recording myself. And like the closer I got, I actually stopped at one point and I was and I kind of stood there. and was like, oh, my God, like I hadn't seen her in a long time. Yeah. And sitting there and I'd never seen her like we'd never hung out together alone before. Every time we'd met was only for a couple of days and there's a lot of people around. And so this is like our first one-on-one and I kind of stopped and in the recording, I just kind of go, Oh, okay. I see her. And then I keep going. And that's when I, uh, that's from there on is where I actually posted yeah. the clip, but I showed it to my mom afterwards. And she was the one that was like, well, why don't you post that? Your friends are going to want to see that. Like there's a lot of adoptees that are going to want to see that. Oh, and I posted it. I did. I barely edited it at all. I just, you know, did the one like 30 second clip and I didn't add a lot of text. I just kind of added, you know, explaining who I'm seeing and why this is emotional. And that was like it. Um, And I didn't even have my phone on me because we went somewhere that evening and I forgot my phone. I'd left it at the hotel and I came back and it's like a hundred thousand views and like all of these uh, comments. And some of them I have to say though, most of the comments and almost all of the interaction was really nice. And yeah. um, a lot of people saying, you know, that they, that they saw themselves in this moment or they, um, they wished that this that this kind of moment could happen for them in the future or, you know, just something that it touched them. Um, a lot of p- people that were strangers to adoption hadn't really ever interacted with an adoptee on, on TikTok before were seeing it and then watching some of my other videos and, you know, commenting, wow, like I learned a lot about this. And, you know, then you get the few comments that were not so nice, but most yeah, of, of the, most of the interaction um for such a like a video that went so big talking about adoption and not really talking about it as if like oh I'm so grateful that my adoptive parents blah 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 like yeah was a post about adoption that had nothing to do with my adoptive parents right that went relatively viral and received really good feedback it was a bit of a surprise that it did so well and that it was such like so positively received by people. 
I was so moved by it because I don't want to choke up, but it's a moment I'll never have. Yeah. And it was so beautiful. Yeah. I'm going to get choked up anyway, but um, really, that's it was so beautiful and that's why it was so moving for me. And um, like, it makes me so happy. Like, I'm split. I'm so happy for all the adoptees that get but not everyone will no it's for sure and um so yes jenny is an adoptee and you are originally from the united states right yeah um well sort of (laughs) i was born in the u.s my actually my um my mom was born in korea oh so she is um she's a military a daughter of a military brat i guess so um, her dad is um, of Polish descent, but was stationed in Korea Okay, and met my grandma and had my mom. So the first four years of her life, she lived in Korea and then moved to the United States. Um, okay. My dad, I still actually haven't found him. I don't oh. know who he is, um, but I do know that he is completely Puerto Rican. I don't know if he was born there or if he was born in uh, like stateside. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I was a first generation American and then I left. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So your, your grandfather, you said he was Polish. He wasn't Polish American. He was just straight up Polish. I, I'm not quite sure. I think he might be Polish American. Okay. Um, I think he may have been first gen like was he in the american military then yeah he was in the american military and then my mom was born in korea wow my korean grandmother wow that's interesting yeah what a mix you are that's yeah it's a a lot of heritage korean and puerto rican it's it's a fun mix wow (laughs) i didn't realize that you didn't know who your dad was yet did you do dna test yeah i didn't even know that i was puerto rican until i did my dna and it was like 50% Puerto Rican. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you were growing up, did you have any knowledge about your ethnic history at all? I knew that I was Korean and I knew that I was Polish. So I knew um, my mom and her, her background, but I didn't know anything at all about my dad. She wrote in my... Um, medical records which I'm putting a big quotation around that my yeah. medical records because it was just her this like 20 year old woman right filling out um information like she wrote that my brother like her brother so my uncle is spoiled <laughs> like in my medical records it says that <laughs> and she was also 20 so you know but oh, she geez. wrote that my dad was Irish and German because that was her boyfriend at the time. But um, yeah, I, the DNA came back and I am not Irish, uh, nor am I German. So <laughs> now is Puerto Rican considered indigenous? I, I don't know much about Puerto Rico. Yeah, um, well, depends on who you're talking to. So if you're talking to the federal government, no. Okay. Um, they do not consider Taino people to um, be a tribe. It is not a federal tribe. Um, Taino people are not protected by ICWA. Mm. Um, and that goes in the same vein as like Native Hawaiians. Native Hawaiians are not protected by ICWA either. 
Oh, really? Um, no, only ICWA that. only protects people who are part of a federal tribe that is federally recognized by the United States government. Wow. And that does not include any of the island nations. <sighs> so, Figured. yeah. Um, but yes, the, the Taino people are actually considered to be extinct. We went through what's called a paper genocide. Um, the last person to be listed as um, indigenous on a census was back in the early 1800s. And then 50 years later, it listed 0% uh, native people living in Puerto Rico, which is not the case, um, especially now with DNA. We yeah. know for certain um, it was something about, I think it was like 95% of Puerto Ricans, like people that were, have generations living in Puerto Rico are, um, native and indigenous. See, like, okay. My adoptive mom was Mexican and, you know, we all know that the Spanish went to Mexico and conquered, you know, and my mom would talk about how, um, you know, I asked, I had some cousins that were very dark skinned and black hair. And my mom would say, well, they just have more Indian blood was the way she would say it. And so like, as I've grown up and thought about this and witnessed racism in Mexico as like a person in my twenties, when I was there visiting and like learning all these things that I was oblivious to when I was there, when I was a kid, there is racism between people in mexico and it's just odd because they're all mexican but the ones that have more quote-unquote spanish blood you know they are racist towards the ones that have the appearance of being more indian blood yes. and there's no equal rights down there at least there wasn't back then um and there's a lot of poverty a lot of poverty and you'll see the people that are poor where they're craftspeople, they're making things to sell, their children are begging on the street and everything. They have that, the darker appearance. And it just, it like, makes me so sad. But, like, then they're indigenous. That's, that's all it is. That's, the Spanish came in, they conquered, and, you know, it's just, and I imagine it's probably somewhat like that in Puerto Rico, but I don't remember which European country was there colonizing or was it uh, this it was mostly the spanish and the spanish portuguese also. so when you like break down my dna because basically all puerto ricans are some sort of mix yes like um, when you break are. my dna down to its roots uh it's spanish portuguese taino and african oh okay uh, because they did originally bring slaves to uh the islands yeah um so now there's quite a lot of afro latinos that live in puerto rico um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of movements there as well um, to bring back like the the African roots to bring back more of the indigenous roots. Um, and then there's quite a lot of um, just we're all a very weird mix. I'm a mix yeah. of a mix of a mix. It's easier to say where I do not have ancestors than to say where I do so <laughs> it's interesting like I've never heard that term paper extinction before that's can you explain that a little more yeah paper genocide um is where um basically on paper your race is written out 
Um, So it started all the way back in the 15, you know, the late 1400s into the 1500s. The native people of these island nations started to die out very quickly because of disease. And it's such a small area that that disease spread amongst them. And uh, they had no immunities. And so they started to die off at a pretty quick rate. Mm-hmm. And in order to survive, they would, um, or even sometimes it was not by choice, but mm-hmm. in order to survive or not by choice, um, they started to have children with the conquistadors, the Spanish and the Portuguese. Um, and then they would consider those people a mix. Mm-hmm. And the lighter skin you were, the more privileges you would have. Um, and so very slowly, they quote unquote bred out the native. Yeah. And even if I were to try and say that like on paper, if they're doing a census and I put indigenous or native or Taino, um, the US government would not accept that because they consider consider the Taino people to be extinct. Wow. Um, so that's what we call the the paper genocide is that we cannot um, apply to be um, a federal tribe. We cannot um, claim on uh, like the U.S. government census that we are indigenous mm-hmm. um, technically, legally, we do not exist. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's very parallel to to Mexico and I'm sure South American countries as well yeah. with the Spanish and the Portuguese. And I just, that's, I decided I was taking um, Liliana from TikTok, you know, she made yes. that video responding to me. She was like, well, you don't have to know anything about it to elevate, you know, indigenous voices. And I'm like, right. And like, I do like and share and comment, you know, as much as I can. But then I thought, what can I do more of? And I was like, november it's like the month where the biggest colonizer holiday is you know so like i'm gonna have some indigenous people on the podcast and you know promote their stories you know you were really really big on talking about iqua when um when that was coming down and i learned a lot from your videos i really did more than i i mean i had learned about iqua somewhat in school but it was obvious you had done a lot of research and learning yeah, I think for me, it was really important because like, I know that even if, um, even with ICWA in existence, it still didn't protect me. There's millions of native children uh, in the United States and in US territories that are native that will never be protected by ICWA as it stands. Yeah. Because there's a lot of tribes that are not federally recognized. Even in like the continental US, there's um still hundreds of tribes that have rich cult- cultures and histories. Um they're just small and they don't have the money and the funds to um apply and be recognized as uh as federal tribes and if yeah. you do not have that federal tribal status, then your children will not be protected by ICWA. And so I, you know, really considered ICWA to be like the gold standard of adoption and adoption practices. And I think it needs to be expanded, if anything. Yeah, it could be better. Um, You know, we need to protect the cultures of all of these children, not just native ones, but Mm -hmm. black children, Asian children. And I would even say, you know, white children need to be protected to keep them in their cultures as well. Like, 
if there's somebody who was born um, to a predominantly Polish family, I would say if we can try and keep them in that Polish American community and preserve that culture and that history for them, then we should try and make the effort to do that. Because, you know, there's really no such thing as white culture, but there is such thing as like Polish American, Italian American, German American. And a lot of those cultures, they've now got their own traditions and their own histories. And we're taking that away from everyone. We're taking that away from kids who don't have any say on what happens to them. We just completely erase their history and we move on. Yeah. I'm really happy that ICWA exists and I, you know, will fight for it to continue to exist, but I would like to see an expansion of it. And yeah. that's why I felt so strongly and had to speak about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was so great that it was protected. At least there's, it's something um, like I was just reflecting on what you were saying. Cause I'm, my biological family is English, um, or no, Scottish, Welsh, some English and German mostly. So like white European, like completely. And I was raised basically like a um, Latina American. Um, lots of culture with my adoptive mom. We went to Mexico every other year when I was little, you know, so I grew up learning Spanish when I was very young and um, it like it was basically, if you want to play with your cousins, you have to learn Spanish. And I remember the one trip we came back and I forgot that I had to speak in English now because we were back in the States and my mom had to remind me. Yeah. Um, and like my cousins would come here and there was like a lot. I have like all kinds of Mexican stuff around my house, you know, and I'm glad for that culture that I got. I really am because I feel like it's like you were saying, like white people's culture. I mean, yeah, it's culture, but it's kind of, eh. I really I kind of appreciate the Latino culture and what has brought to my my life um doesn't mean that I wouldn't have I would have rather kind of probably stayed with my biological family though like I appreciate the Latino culture a lot but all of it doesn't outdo the the all the other crap and baggage that I carry with me from being adopted you yeah. know and um it's really weird I have this really strange sense of guilt i know this is gonna sound stupid i don't even know if it makes sense and how i try to explain it uh like maybe survivor's guilt is the closest thing i can come to when i come across adoptees who are latino who were raised in white families and they didn't get exposure to any of that culture and i got it and i'm not even latino if it makes any sense yeah so it does yeah. but i think that that's such like a you know I think it's an adoptee thing to feel guilt, like <laughs> very intense guilt, because, you know, everything is our fault. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And and we have to be, you know, we, I think, at least for me, I put on a lot of pressure on myself as a kid, and I'm trying really hard to get rid of that now, but I'm mm -hmm. still feeling that pressure of like, you know, well, you know, I, it, it's true, I did get raised in, you know, a semi, um, not wealthy, but like well off family well class. And have all these opportunities. And I did, yeah, middle class. And, 
And that feeling of guilt is really easy to slip into. And as an adoptee where it's like, it's not like you, <laughs> it's not like you chose like, no. haha, I'm the white girl with the Latino. <laughs> You're right. I didn't choose it, but it's here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I have a tendency to, um, like my anxiety gets really bad, like catastrophizing, I guess they call it. Uh, my work recently changed our email from Outlook to Gmail. So now I can like log in on a device. And I had done that and I was getting my work emails. And right now I only work um, like three 10 hour shifts a week. And uh, so I was off for a couple of days in a row and all of a sudden I wasn't able to get my email. And immediately my mind was like, I'm fired. Like, you know, my fault. <laughs> yeah, like, and I had, but now like at my age, I'm able to be like, okay, this, you're not fired. Why don't you just like chill the fuck out till you actually go to work and find out like why you can't get your email. They're still in the process of like updating all the security. So maybe they're like, oh, we don't want you getting it on your device at home. And that's all it was, you know? So of course I went to work and I wasn't fired, but that anxiety was there. You know, I hate that. Oh. When I was I'm in my twenties and I got called into work to like be talked to by management, I would get so upset and it would be the dumbest thing. And I was like, just losing my mind. And I like, don't tell me I need to talk to you, but it's gotta be later. I, I'm going to be like fretting the entire time. Cause I automatically in my mind, I'm like, what did I do? What did I do? It's, it's terrible. I hate that. If anybody ever is like, oh, can we, I, I want to have a conversation at this time. It's kind of important. And, and you're dying until it happens, right? I'll, I will absolutely be in knots until the exact moment that conversation happens. And it's always not a big deal. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, every now and then it'll be an actual, like, I'm mad at you because of whatever. But usually it's it's totally not a big deal. I didn't have to stress out about it. Right. And so I'm usually the one that's like, can you just tell me what this is about so that I don't yeah. have to freak out for the next six hours or whatever? My, my professors were great because they taught classes in trauma. So they would literally, they'd be like, so-and-so, I need to talk to you after class. And they would immediately follow up by, don't worry, it's nothing serious. Yeah. Like they understood that people have anxiety and are like, bah! you know, like, I hate that. So tell me about your life growing up. Did you, you said you had adoptive siblings also? I did. Yeah. There's actually four of us. Um, I was, we're all adopted. I was the oldest and I'm the only domestic adoptee. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, I was adopted in 92. Um, I was born in Florida. So my bio mom she grew up in um, New York. I can't remember exactly, maybe Buffalo, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And she got pregnant. She didn't tell anyone. And when she was six months pregnant, she went down to Florida and lived there for three months in the Tampa area hmm. and then had me. And so my um, adoptive parents and my bio mom actually hadn't ever met. I don't know why. Um, but for some reason it didn't work out that they actually ever met each other in person. Um, they talked on the phone and that's how my, my mom picked my adoptive parents well, is from wow. like the file they were given, she was given and over a phone interview. That seems like such a big decision to make over a phone call. It's yeah. And she's also 20 and I'm thinking like, God, I, I remember when I was 20, I did some really dumb stuff. Like, <laughs> I don't think I would 
be capable to decide, first of all, to have a child, second of all, to relinquish a child, and third, to like choose the child's adoptive parents over a phone call. But that's what she did. You know, I guess that's what they did. And it was the 90s. Like, yeah. <laughs> and in the 90s, that was like an open adoption was just being able to choose your parents instead yeah. of in the 80s and 90s. They had they what I had what was considered like a um, it was classified as a partially open adoption because mm -hmm. for the first five years, my adoptive parents were required to send pictures of me. I think it was oh. like every six months they had to send pictures. They were and required. Then she could send, yeah, she could send letters. Well, required. Again, we're quoting. Yeah, <laughs> um, she could send letters that would go through the adoption agency, but that was cut off when I was five. Um, they completely closed that off when I was five, and that was a, a apparently some kind of agreed upon time. Is that the first five years she would get updates and could send letters, and then 1997, like all over. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I grew up um I grew up in Missouri. So my parents are both from Missouri. My dad is from the St. Louis area. My mom is from a little town called Palmyra. Shout out to Palmyra. Um <laughs> up that's like the northern Missouri. And uh my mom is a nurse. Uh my dad uh owned an accounting firm. And yeah, they were living a pretty comfortable middle-class Midwestern life, um, very staunch Catholics. Um, my mom wasn't raised Catholic, but converted when she married my dad. Um, I was an only child until I was six. Um, when I was five, my parents tried to adopt again through the same adoption agency, which was called ABC Adoptions. Adoptions by Choice was the oh my name, God. which great name <laughs> they were shut down in 2005 because of fraud but that's a whole nother story. oh my god <laughs> they were skimming money off of adoptive parents what a surprise <laughs> yeah. um but they tried to adopt again um but it didn't it didn't work out the uh grandmother decided to keep the the child at the last minute um the papers actually had already been signed but wow uh, the grandmother, uh, called the adoption agency and was like, actually, I, I want her. I want her. Um, the papers had already been signed. The birth mom had already relinquished, but, uh, and, and the adoption agency wanted my parents to stay and to fight for her. Um, but my mom was like, well, I mean, her family wants to keep her and yay even, for your mom. Yeah. Even if we sign papers, she's like, I mean, we're not going to like, no, we're not going to do that. Good. So um, that was, I, I was five and I, I kind of remember it. Like I remember sitting in um, the office of one of the agents. It was like at the adoption agency, like the grandmother showed up. It was very dramatic. Mm -hmm. And they had me go and sit in this room with this man who I, I swear he has never seen a child before this moment because he gave me a coloring page and then like two crayons and one of them was brown and I can't remember <laughs> the other color but I kept thinking like you give me a brown crayon like what am I going to do with this 
And I sat there, I didn't know for how long because I'm five. I didn't have a concept of time. Yeah. Um, but my, my mom, my adoptive mom talks about, it was like eight hours that I was sitting in this room with this man Gee. Uh, that they were discussing like what they were going to do because like legally the child was my, was my parents' child now because of the adoption papers or the relinquishment papers are signed. And it's like, a whole thing and eventually my parents were just like you know what like the family wants to keep the child we are not going to take her away yeah. and it was going to be like a three-month legal battle and it, yeah uh, right we've it heard like about those thing. so that was I think probably pretty traumatic for my adoptive parents um you know I I know we don't like to talk a lot about how hard things are for adoptive parents when we're talking about adoption because all of society is like poor you you adoptive parent oh yeah, my right. gosh you're such a saint um but you know i still have like a soft spot for them in a way and so i kind of think about how that probably was a really traumatic moment for them yeah um and it it changed the whole trajectory because i don't think that they would have adopted anymore after just having the two of us um, but they ended up deciding to go ahead and do an international adoption next. Hmm. And so a year later, they had found a small adoption agency called Future. And they did, uh, they facilitated Russian adoptions. Um, one of the women was a Russian immigrant, and she would go back and forth to Russia um, and visiting the baby homes and helping families find babies. And um, she'd come back with notebooks like full of pictures, like a catalog of, oh my God. of children and babies from all these baby homes. And it would almost be like, I would, I would liken it to almost like the stats of a, um, of like a sports player. Cause it would have their name, their age, their city. Um, if they're old enough, like their hobbies, um, sometimes it would have a letter written by them, like a whole, it was a portfolio profile about them. That's kind of gross. And yeah, I kind of, I laugh about it. I'm not like laughing because it's funny, but it's I, whenever I get uncomfortable, I laugh because it's just, uh, it's, it, yeah. I mean, as a kid, I remember uh, my mom and dad were like, can you help pick out your brother or sister? And I'm flipping uh -huh. through this notebook as like a six-year-old trying to find my new siblings oh my god within this within this book my brain and literally went to like the christmas catalog and it winter you know in the winter time and you're flipping through and circling yeah, and the you, you, you like you bend the pages of the yes. stuff that you want yeah <laughs> i yeah i would and we had little bookmarks and we would bookmark these kids and come back to them and be like well no we don't want this one. Oh, maybe that one. Maybe oh, this one. That's so oh, disturbing. Um, that we ended up finding one boy who is half Korean, excuse me, half Korean, half Russian. Oh wow. And I'm a quarter Korean. And so my my parents thought, oh, that's cool. Um, so we'll we'll adopt that one. And they even wrote in his profile that it was very unlikely that he would be adopted by a Russian family because he was Asian. Um, and you know racism so yeah it's a strike against him in a way mm -hmm. for them. and then they found another little girl um my sister um who was very sick who had been born like three months premature who had been dumped at the hospital by her mom and like 
I don't even know if any of that's true. You know, right. They give you a whole story, but did, it can be fabricated. Actually what happened? Like nobody yeah. really knows. We can only go off of what this little profile says about her. Um, but she was very, very sick. And, and when they visited her the first time she was in the hospital. Um, and so they were like, well, we have to take her home. Um, so that was what year was that? I think 1999 as when they came home with um, Josh and Nicole. And my mom wanted to be done because that's three kids. Um, and Wait, they brought home two at a time. Two at the same time. Wow. They brought Josh and Nicole home at the same time. Josh was about a year and a half. Nicole was about six months. That's a handful. Yes. And my mom was done. My dad, he was like typical dad, you know, working the nine to five, but usually it wasn't really a nine to five. It was more of like a seven 30 to like seven 30. Yeah. <laughs> so he's getting home at like eight o'clock at night. My mom is exhausted. She still works part-time as a nurse. And she also is a stay-at-home mom for three kids. And, you know, it was, it was a big adjustment, a big change. And yeah. so she was done. But somehow my dad convinced her to adopt one more time. And so in 2002, they came home with Nick. Wow. And he's also Russian. So. So I'm sure you have opinions about international adoption. Yeah. I mean, I talked to my sister about it a lot when I was uh, when I was in in the U.S. And um, after this recent trip, you know, she talked about how. She's not sure that she would still be alive if it weren't for adoption because Mm -hmm. she was very desperately ill. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then I think about like, okay, yeah, my, my um, other brother has a lot of challenges as well. And then, um, you know, I think that international adoption, first of all, is very complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, I think all adoption is really complicated. Oh, yes. You know, when I think about what my siblings lost, you know, they lost their, their country, their nationality, their language, they lost all of their culture. Yeah. And, you know, I I kind of talked to my sister about it and she's like, I'm not sure that I am ungrateful that I was adopted. And, you know, our parents are decent folks. Like they're Mm -hmm. not horrible, terrible people. We were not horrifically abused. We had a pretty, average life albeit it was not a trauma-informed upbringing right um and so she'll you know she talks about like it's not like I dislike my parents and it's not like I hate that I'm adopted she said she just wishes that she would have had access to her culture yeah and that her name wouldn't have been changed because she had a Russian name and that name was taken away from her and she doesn't know her language and she doesn't have a Russian passport and she doesn't um, really know anything about Russian history or culture. And she's having to kind of, if she wants to learn that on her own. And, you know, now she has her own child who also will be deprived of that. Um, So I think, you know, international adoption Probably in the late 90s, early 2000s, we didn't know as much about adoption and about being trauma-informed as we do now. Not to say that I excuse my adoptive parents for, you know, the decisions that they made. Um, But it is also, I think, kind of like they just didn't know. Mm -hmm. And the information wasn't as readily available as it is now. 
Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I give my parents a lot of grace because yeah, I, you know, my dad was born in 1926 and my mom in 37. That's a long time ago. Yeah. And I mean, my dad grew up through the depression. My mom was raised by a single woman in Mexico city. There were five kids during that same time period. She did the best she could, which was sometimes good, sometimes bad. And so like now I'm able to reflect on that as an adult, when you're a kid, you can't really process all that. But then once you have your own kid, you're like, Oh, (laughs) and like they did the best they could. There wasn't, I mean, mental health is still stigmatized to this time, you know, not as much it's decreasing thankfully but you know back in the 70s there wasn't like you only went to a a shrink you know or a therapist if you had major problems you know what i mean and And it was shameful if you yeah you didn't talk about it and and that kind of stuff so i'm glad that there's more awareness i definitely feel like all adopted kids should get like free counseling for life like they do in australia (laughs) You know, because there and it's just but first we would have to get society to recognize the fact that there's trauma, you yeah. know, and that's that's hard with all the propaganda out there and all the media that makes adoption look like it's either the best thing in the world or. Or, you know what I mean? There's like such a duality there, you know. And then media stories are like the little boy who invited his whole kindergarten class to his adoption. And I I can't stand how adoption is covered in the media. It really bugs the shit out of me. And I remember a TikTok you made where you were talking about um, these media people coming to you after this viral video of you meeting your mom and this trip that you guys had and wanting to tell your story. And you were pretty pissed off about one in particular. What what happened with that one? Because I don't think I went looking for the story, but I remember the video. You were so mad. I think it was I in was Italy mad. Or something. <laughs> there was an Italian tabloid that okay. picked up the story, and the way that they talked about adoption was like all adoptive parents want to uh, to give a better life to these children, and certainly they do always give a better life to all adoptees and just the way they were talking about it was like this story had zero to do with my adoptive parents I in the interview that I gave that the tabloid used to Mm -hmm. tell the story the interview was like my adoptive parents are called Mike and Kelly my dad is an accountant my mom is a nurse and uh they support me in reuniting with my bio mom. That is all I said about them. And the entire interview, the original interview was over a half hour long. And that is all that I said about my adoptive parents. Yeah. And the original article that was written using that raw footage interview basically did the same thing. Like Jenny's adoptive parents are Kelly and Mike, and they are a nurse and an accountant and they support her in reuniting. And I approved that because I told them, like, I do not want this to be, oh my gosh, Jenny's adoptive parents are saints and wonderful and beautiful and amazing. And I think they're good people. But Mm -hmm. first of all, they don't need the smoke from anyone. (laughs) They got enough going on. 
uh, they support me. That's all that matters. Like they don't always agree with everything that I'm saying, but they support me. I support them. But that like this doesn't have anything to do with them. It's your story. Was basically what I told the the journalist. And she agreed like, yeah, this doesn't really have anything to do with them. Um, and so they really wrote almost nothing. And this tabloid spent several paragraphs of the of the article that they wrote talking about how amazing adoptive parents are and how beautiful and wonderful it is that they gave me this opportunity to meet my biological mom. Oh and, my God. And it was, it, I was so angry about it because first of all, my, my, how amazing. Oh my, what was that? I think it's fine. It was just okay. a cloud thing. Okay. That for my, for this article to go on and on and on talking about how amazing my adoptive parents are to give me this opportunity. Like they spent, half of the article that they wrote talking about how incredible adoptive parents are when the story itself had nothing to do with them at all. Yeah. Um, And so (laughs) we ended up getting that article taken down because they did not pay you. uh, If you're, um, if you are wanting to tell a story that has come from an interview Mm-hmm. The company that did that interview owns the interview. Okay. And so they didn't pay the company that did that original interview anything. Mm. They just read the article and stole the story and put it on their own tabloid. Oh. And so we were able to get it taken down by saying, okay, like I, I wrote three emails I consulted a lawyer and they said, write three emails and then say that you will be pursuing legal action. And if they don't take it down, then we'll take up your case pro bono. Wow. Uh, And so I wrote the three emails, no response. I wrote them on Facebook. I wrote them on their email. I wrote them more than three emails, probably in total. Yeah. And then I wrote them the, okay, I will be taking legal action. And within an hour of writing that one, the story was gone. And so for me, it's always going to be something like, be careful who you work with. Yeah. And when you do work with them, put a Google alert on your name. Yeah. Alias and your account name. And you check that because there are going to be people out there that are vipers and they will twist your story and turn your story around and make it out into whatever they want it to be. Yeah. And you have the right to control your own narrative. Um, And I've worked pretty hard to get, now I've gotten five different stories taken down. That was the first one. Wow. Five. Um, Yes. Because people like to, they like to spin things and twist your narrative up and write it in a way that's palatable. um, Yeah. For the masses. Yeah. And that sounds good. Yeah. That's a really good bit of advice, though, to put that Google alert. I never thought about that. Google alert your name. Google alert your username, your account name, um, your maiden name. As soon as you start to get a little publicity, mm-hmm. put those Google alerts on. That's really interesting. Yeah, it doesn't take long to do it. It doesn't cost a thing. Yeah, that's a great idea. I can't believe you had to get five articles taken down. Oh yeah. Yeah. I finally checked out the 
LA Bible one. Is it LA Bible? A LAD Bible? I don't know. LAD Bible or LAD yeah, Bible. Yeah. That one was pretty good. I used to get so angry whenever I told people, like, in my youth, I always, I lied to everybody and myself about my feelings around adoption because I was trying to, like, protect my adoptive mom's feelings about it because there was always that silent body language message that came from her where she would like tense up and because it was a baby scoop closed adoption there was no information at all except like the only fact I knew was that my mother was 16 and from the North Hills of Pittsburgh and that was it and so when I had questions it was always like well it doesn't matter because you're ours now yeah. And that just made me feel like I'm not even going to talk about it. And I just, um, when I did finally acknowledge to myself that I was curious and that I wanted to know, I had an excuse initially. I used medical history because I watched my adoptive dad die of cancer when I was 19. And then a year later, his mom passed away from leukemia. And in my mind, I'm going, okay, my adoptive sister knows what's in her family. I have no clue at all. I hadn't even thought about it until that time. And then when I told people that I was going to start looking, they'd be like, well, what about your mom? And well, what about her? You know, like this doesn't have anything to do with her. It's not her mom. It's like, she's still my mom. Like, it doesn't matter if I find it doesn't change that she raised me, you know, but like that initial reaction from the general population is what about your parents' feelings? <laughs> Like, and what about them? Yeah. And what's, I think, hardest for me, I still, I get those comments all the time. And, yeah. you know, most of the time it's internet strangers. I don't care about internet strangers and they can say whatever they want about me. I don't care. Yeah. Right. Um, But it does come from family members, you know, cousins, mm. aunts, uncles, people like in the church community that I grew up with they'll comment on my stuff sometimes and say stuff like, well, well, but your adoptive parents are good people. I don't understand why you care so much. And it's like, yeah. well, you wouldn't understand because you know who your family is. Like, you know, yeah. yep. you know that you look just like grandma, you know, you look at the picture from the 1940s and you think, wow, oh my gosh, I have grandma's cheekbones or whatever. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that. Yeah. I didn't have any of that. And adoptees you know we have a right to know where we came from and that doesn't mean that you know just because we're searching where we've come from and we want to know you know our biological history our yeah. ancestry our culture we we want to know our family that doesn't mean that we're like suddenly rejecting our adoptive family like exactly my search for my biological family had nothing to do with my adoptive family yeah they are separate and right. that's okay. My existence does not have to fully rely on and revolve around my adoptive parents. Mm -hmm. So my adoptive parents were, they were really good people. You know, my, my dad was like, I was daddy's girl and he was like my rock. And my mom and I were always a bit like oil and vinegar. And she, she did have like insecurity. Um, like they didn't exactly adopt for infertility reasons. They didn't seek me out. I was kind of like offered to them because it's like one of those things like not what you know, but who you know. They were friends with a neighbor lady. Um, she was a good friend of the family and she happened to be a nurse. Mm 
And I still don't know the connection if she worked for this doctor or if he was her doctor, but she knew he had a reputation for, you know, air quotes, helping girls in trouble. Mm. And um, she mentioned to my parents, you know, have you ever thought about adopting? And so uh, I remember my mom, my biological mom had a year to change her mind. And this was back in 1971. And so the papers weren't officially signed until um, 72. And I remember hearing my adoptive mom say, you know, well, I was always afraid they were going to take you away from me. And she told me the one time she was like, if your mother had changed her mind, I would have run to Mexico with you. And I'm like, I really don't know how to feel about that. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like I get you loved me, but like, you know, I'm like, that's where I, I have a lot of respect for your parents with that quote unquote failed adoption to be okay like I'm sure they were sad but they understood that that girl's family wanted her and you know like I do I have a lot of respect for that I kind of I get really irritated when I see people on TikTok that are you know showing all of the stuff that they bought for this baby that they were going to adopt and then the mom changes her mind like to me that's like time to celebrate and I understand they're heartbroken and sad but like but it's not about them. Yeah, but they're making it about them because it's what they wanted. It's that whole, that angle with adoption. You know, people forget. General society thinks adoption is for getting kids if you want them. And it's it's not, not what it's supposed to be. I'm sure if you pulled the general population in the U.S., it would be very, and you said like, what is adoption about? Mm-hmm. Very few people would say about chill, like the, their first answer, I bet would be, oh, uh, to make sure that children have a safe home and are, you know, that it would be, oh, for infertile couples or, oh, for, you know, it's going to always be centering around that adult and that yeah. adult experience and that adult desire. And maybe secondarily to give a, a, a children a, a quote unquote better life. Exactly. It's like there, and that's, I have a very hard time reconciling that that would actually be something that people care about because of how, you know, my experience as an adoptee and the adoptees that I've seen in my life and, mm-hmm. and online, I see the comments. I see how people talk about us. I see what people say about us. I see the jokes that they make about us. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone that says like to give a child a better life, like, I I don't believe you. Like, I don't believe that that's actually a reason you just say that to make yourself feel better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, I, I used to tell people that I felt like a puppy, you know, cause I didn't have a birth story. I had a, when we got you story. Mm -hmm. And it did. It made like, I didn't know, like, I know saying I felt like a puppy. It's not a feeling word, but that's like how I described, described it because my mom talked about like taking me around the neighborhood and showing everybody, you know, like, I don't know. That doesn't seem like what you do when you have a baby, but you know, when you get one, it's a little different. It's like show and tell all of a sudden, you know, it's, I don't know. It's such a weird, complex thing. Mine is like an alien. Like I felt like I was an alien growing up, you know, my, so my entire extended family, not including my brother, Josh. Yeah. 
my entire extended family, no people of color. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just me and my brother, like with all these white people, you know? Uh, And so growing up, you know, I felt like an alien Uh, going to school, my community, my church, like nobody, like there were very few people of color. Yeah. Um, And I could probably count on one hand how many other students there were of color in our entire school. Yeah. And so, you know, when you grow up in an environment like that, where nobody looks like you, Mm -hmm. um, nobody has even a similar experience to you, uh, your parents don't know how to have those uncomfortable race conversations with you because they don't even think about that. Right. Um, it feels like you are absolutely alien and that there there's nobody in the world that is like me that feels like me because there was no one in my world growing up mm-hmm. besides yeah. my brother josh it was just him and i <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> so did you have like a, a real identity crisis growing up like did you struggle with your appearance when you were like a teenager and going through that difficult age of you know maybe wanting to look like everybody else or you know, any of that. I, I mean, it's not necessarily about how I looked, um, but it's definitely, I can remember some pretty distinct instances where I was heavily othered yeah. because of like how I look. Um, I've always liked how I look. I'm probably, I think you're pretty. <laughs> I think I'm pretty too. <laughs> <laughs> I like how I look. I like my, my roots. I like you know, how weird of a mix I am Mm -hmm. of all these different cultures and backgrounds. I think that that's cool. And I think, you know, I I enjoy that. And I'm now in my 30s, spending time learning about each one and starting to learn the languages and and stuff like that. Um, But as a kid, you know, I, it's not like I was sent to Korea camp or anything. Like I didn't get to learn about Korean history or culture. Yeah. Um, I just knew that I was Korean and I knew that everybody around me knew that I was something besides them. Um, You know, people at our church, like the other kids at our church would call us the double stuffed Oreo family. Oh my God. Because there were two brown kids and two white kids. Oh my God. That's so ignorant. It was, but you know, and, and all the adults around would kind of laugh and think that that's cute and funny. So as a kid, you're like, oh, I guess it's okay to call right. us that. Like, this yeah. is fine. Because I'm like eight, you know? I don't have the the knowledge and the information or the vocabulary to say, like, this is not something that's okay to say. And, right. you know, here are all the microaggressions, you know, vocabulary that I have now. As an eight-year-old, I would look to the adults in my life and they're like chuckling, like, oh, that's cute. Double stuffed Oreo family. Yeah, that's exactly. funny. Yeah. And I remember my adoptive uh, mom laughed about it once. And that was like the, oh, okay, so that's fine then. Green light. Um, And it was a little bit of an identity crisis um, of like, I know that I'm different. And for a while, I figured that it's okay that people speak to me or act about like about me in a certain way, because 
like, well, of course they're going to act like that because I'm different. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, they're going to treat me differently and they're going to treat me this way because I am this person yeah, and not like them. Right. Um, And it really affected, I think, my formative years, like my late teenage years into early adult years. There was a lot of internalized racism that I had to kind of work my way out of. Um, And it wasn't anything like blatant racism, like making, you know, talking terribly about Asian people or Latinas. It was more of just like these little microaggressions that I think the people in my life at the time didn't recognize. Right. You know, the 90s was a really big time of like being colorblind and like, mm-hmm. I don't see color. Um, but like, you do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. We do. We all recognize. And that's okay. And it's a good thing to recognize that, it, like where people come from and to yeah. honor that. Um, And when you start to have this like colorblind attitude, you can come across like a lot of microaggressions and a lot of macroaggressions. But um, that really, you know, formed my opinions for a long time that it was okay that people treated me differently because, oh, I am different. So it's fine that they treat me that way because I'm not like them. Um, so I guess, yeah, in a way it it did really affect me quite a lot. And I think I still kind of have to every now and then come across something where I'm like, oh, I got to work through that. Like (laughs) I got to work through that or I'll see an old Facebook post that I made. And I'm like, oh God, like, (laughs) as memories, they're really person 15 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I kind of went through, like, I didn't recognize an identity crisis for myself growing up although like my mom would always make comments and my other family was like you're so pretty if only you would lose weight or whatever and I wasn't even like heavy back then when I was in like in my high school I I really wasn't but I have a shorter stocky built because I'm built like my dad but nobody knew it I wasn't built like any of them you know I don't look like any of them and I kind of kind of had struggles with that and then I I had a very very large chest and that made me look even more awkward the way I was shaped I had a reduction seven years ago and um it's funny because I asked my dad I'm like this is gonna sound like a really strange question I was like but has anybody in your family had a breast reduction he's like yeah my sister did I'm like okay check that one off like okay (laughs) (laughs) you know and um but like I, my biggest identity crisis was we, you know, I said, when I was little, we went to Mexico every other year when my sister got married and moved to California when I was 14, my family was comfortable, but not comfortable enough to travel like every other year to like two places. So we stopped going to Mexico and went to California instead, um, to go visit her. And when my dad died, Um, my mom and I took a trip back down to Mexico. I hadn't been there since I was like 11 or 12. And at this point I was 20 and we're at my grandmother's apartment and my mom's cousins are all coming in to see her. Now I knew all my first cousins and my aunt and uncles like very well from my childhood. So there was no strangeness there, but my mom's cousins were coming in and they're looking at me like, what, how? You know, like they either they forgot 
or they didn't, you know, my mom's like, this is my daughter. And they were looking at me like, and I felt like I had a, you know, in 20 is a hard age. I feel like Who's I had a third eye right baby here. Is that? <laughs> yeah. And I like everybody's dark skin, dark hair. And I'm the only one. My hair was much lighter, like blonde back then. Hmm. And it like, it really was like, I was having a really hard time. I like went and isolated myself in my room and just was like writing in my journal. And I'm like, I feel so out of place. And then we would go to the markets where the, they call it the artisanias, where they sell the handcrafted stuff and the people selling stuff, they call to the tourists, you know, and they're going, Pasa la guerita, que quieres de llevar, which is, hey, blondie, you know, yeah. come over here. What do you want to buy? And I just like, can we get a bottle of brown hair dye, please? Like, I just wanted to blend in. I didn't want to stick out in like, I really made me uncomfortable, like in a big way. And I think that's that's when I experienced that. Like, can I just be Mexican, please? Like, and not look different, you know? Now that I've found everybody, I am more comfortable with my appearance because I can see, especially those morphing videos on TikTok where they, you know, oh, morph yeah. like the picture. That that's when I saw that I looked like my mom, and in like my eyes are just like her. Mostly, I look like my dad. And I did not see anything where I looked like my mom until I used one of those morphing filters. And I was like, and I immediately like got choked up and was like, holy shit. But it's that genetic mirroring thing is real. It's, it's to me, it's so important, you know? Yeah. I'm glad that you're, you know, you've always been okay with how you look and everything. That's, I think that's great. But it doesn't sound like your parents gave you any like crap for your parents either, which helps. No, I, I, if anything, uh, was probably hyped up a little bit too much about my appearance. Really? <laughs> yeah. Though the one thing that I did get from my dad, which still bothers me, and I still bring it up to him a lot, is that there is a picture of me. I was probably a year and a half or so, and I am sitting in the kitchen holding a cooking spoon. And he has that picture framed on his desk and would constantly tell his clients, this is my daughter. Doesn't she look like a Chinese cook? Oh. And so that's like the only thing that I can think of that was like the appearance. And it's not even necessarily like a negative thing. Like there's nothing wrong with Chinese people who happen to be cooks. No. But like I'm not Chinese. And right. also I was a baby. <laughs> like- right. Right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And um that really I don't know that that comment, you know, little little comments like that would happen all the time. Gotcha. Um and so yeah, it wasn't anything like my mom would say anything about my skin color or my hair color or my appearance or even um anything like that in within my with my adoptive family, but it was a lot of like little comments that you know, I still like how I look, but I definitely know I look different than everybody else. Yeah. Um, and it was like when I met my mom the first time, you know, it was my wedding day and she walked through the door and it really, like, I knew what she looked like. I'd seen pictures of her before, but you know, it's different when you see them in person, it's like a mirror. Like I'm looking at this woman and I'm like, oh my God, I look just like this lady i forgot that you met on your wedding day you're crazy what a time to do that people people have said stuff to me like i can't believe you did that because i walked up to my birth father in a bar 
and introduce myself to him. And people were like, how did you do that? And I'm like, I was scared shitless. And a friend of mine had to talk me into it for an hour and a half after he walked in the door because I was shaking like a leaf. But like on your wedding day? Oh, my God. Yeah, I had the gall to send her a wedding invitation and she had the gall to come. Wow. And <laughs> you did. I actually got permission from my adoptive mom to invite her to my wedding. My my adoptive mom and I are sitting there making the wedding list, the guest list. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, what about what about Joanne? What about your bio mom? Wow. I was like, green light. Okay, I can invite her. Like, it's okay to invite her. Um, because I was kind of like you. I don't, I don't never wanted my mom to feel bad. And I still, I love my mom. Yeah. I talk to her every day. Um, I love her. But like, I also love my other mom. Yes. And I call them both mom. Yeah. Which was confusing when my adoptive mom and my bio mom were in the same room <laughs> like a month <laughs> I can ago imagine. and I was like hey mom and they both go yeah <laughs> <laughs> but how cool is that yeah like that's what we talk about with people like raising adoptees it's like you know include the bio family it's more people to love the kid not like we're gonna fight over them why can't we extend their circle? Why do we have to cut them from one and yes. plop them in another? Exactly. I, I, I'm still like floored by that. I can't believe. So how much contact had you and your first mom been in before the wedding? Um, We had talked mostly on like Facebook Messenger mm-hmm. for about a year. Okay. We had FaceTimed maybe twice. Yeah. And I messaged her saying, like, I'm going to invite you to the wedding. And her boyfriend at the time was the one who kind of, like, pushed her to come. Oh, yeah. My sister. I don't think she was going to come. I don't know if she would have come without Greg. So shout out to you, Greg. I'm going (laughs) to send this to him. (laughs) Because he was like, you have to go. You're going to regret it if you don't. You might regret it if you do. You'll definitely regret it if you don't. Yeah. And so she came, she, she flew in the night before and she left the day after we didn't get to spend a ton of time together, but we got to spend a little bit of time and yeah, like just like seeing her in person and seeing my sister in person. Wow. I look at those pictures. I'm like, God, like we look so similar. Yeah, you really do. We do. I don't know what my dad looks like, but I'm like, he, I don't know. what I have gotten from him because I look so much like my mom. There are differences. There but, are. But, but you small. do. <laughs> are your mannerisms alike too? That I mean, those videos that you guys posted from the trip. Oh my God. They were so cute. You two were, were adorable amazing. together. Like, we didn't <laughs> practice. like <laughs> No, but you guys were adorable together. It's like yeah. sickeningly sweet. Yeah. Not in a bad way though. It's just I so almost- sweet. I almost didn't post anything about that because I always will have that in the back of my head of like, this is an opportunity that not everybody's going to get. Like, this is something that a lot of adoptees are never going to be able to experience. Right. And there was a part of me that was feeling very selfish and guilty for wanting to share that part of my story, for wanting to talk about that. Because 
you know, a part of me is like, I feel bad and I feel lucky Mm -hmm. that I have like this opportunity and I'm getting this experience. And like, I have a close relationship with both my biological and, and adoptive families. And that is not something that a lot of adoptees get to say. No. And how, you know, and it makes me feel very lucky. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of think like, what a shame that is that having this, like, what should be the bare minimum, just the standard, how shameful is it that I'm sitting here going, wow, I feel so lucky that I wasn't horrifically abused by either of my families and that I am, you know, able to have a decent relationship with both of them. Like, Mm -hmm. How gross. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, wow, I'm so lucky. <laughs> like, right. And meanwhile, it's like how it should be in reality. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Did you get to meet any other extended family? Like, is your grandmother still alive or your grandparents on your mom's side? Well, unfortunately, there is a little bit of a generational trauma and that my mom's mom left her when she was four. Oh, so we do not know where she is, if she's still alive, gotcha. if she has a whole nother family. Maybe no they'll idea. come up in the DNA someday. Yeah, maybe one of these days. I've only done Ancestry. I'd like to do some more just to get my DNA out there, you know? <laughs> you know, you can take your DNA data, you can download it from Ancestry, and you can upload it to GEDmatch and a couple other places. I've done Genome Link, but I haven't done GEDmatch. I'll have to do that one. I've heard that one's not like I've heard funny things about that one recently that it's kind of faulty but uh, there's also family heritage there's a few others like I have there's an adoptee that's like I'm not sure about this one it's really interesting but she's an adoptee from Canada and she I had entered my DNA and other things um, and she and I connected as a cousin we're cousins and I'm not sure how close cousins we are but like I have nobody in Canada like I have no idea how we're related I can't I can't find it anywhere it's really interesting to me and she had a genetic genealogist looking at our trees and stuff and trying to figure it out but I don't I never heard anything back on that one I'm gonna have to ask her again but it's just really interesting but I got this message pop up she's like hey cousin I'm like wait what (laughs) And it's just crazy that she's an adoptee too. And she, like, after she contacted me was then when she found, like, her bio family. And she reconnected with her um, biological dad and her mom. And um, she had a good adoption, you know, good family and stuff like that. So it's, like, good all around for her also, which is great. But it'd be great if we could figure out how we're related. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't met grandparents. I know that my grandfather has passed. Yeah. Um, he passed shortly before I found my mom. Yeah. But I've now met all three of my siblings. I met my sister, Nicole, which I have two sisters named Nicole, a biological <laughs> sister and an adoptive sister, both named Nicole. But yeah, I met Nicole or Nikki. Um, she came to my wedding as well with my mom. Yeah. I met my brother Woodrow at my sister Nikki's wedding. Um, I was invited to go to her wedding. 
and I was asked to be a bridesmaid. Wow. So that was really fun. I met my brother Woodrow there and I just met my sister Sam in October last month. So now I've met all three of my siblings on that side. Wow. And my mom. I've met my uncle Stephen and his partner Diego. So that was great. Do you feel like you and your, like, I know you probably haven't had that much time to talk with your siblings, but do you feel like, I'm trying to think of how to word this, do you feel like you're more like them than any of your adoptive siblings? Like in, not just physically, but um, opinions, political leanings, all that kind of stuff. I'm definitely similar to my sister, Sam, when it comes to like political, social Mm -hmm. uh, leanings like that. I will say it is easier for me to just get along with my bio siblings than it is with my adoptive siblings, because we are just so like from between myself and my adoptive siblings, I'd say the of the four of us like none of us are particularly close with one another like they are my siblings like right. ride or die for them but it's not like we're besties right you know? yeah like i love them i like hanging out with them i like being in their lives mm-hmm. ride or die right I'll do whatever right. i need to for them but it is just smoother with my bio siblings and yeah just as quickly as you know we we've only met a few times like I only met Sam the first time in October and like immediately we just kind of were right in step with one another that's so cool my Um, sister and I are more like I'm I mean it's so crazy how much I wouldn't say like physically we're completely we're very different like we have some facial features that are similar she's like five foot nine i'm like five two so it's really funny to see my like my little sister and i'm like you know looking up at her and stuff but we're very like-minded in so many things and i just adore her i could be her mom i'm old enough to be but i i do i just absolutely adore her a lot of me feels guilty that i wasn't there because i'm the oldest for both sides like i'm the oldest for the adoptive siblings and I'm the oldest for my biological siblings Hmm. and a lot of me feels bad feels guilty that I didn't get to be their big sister and that I wasn't there for them which is very you know another one of those like adoptee guilt things like how could I change that like (laughs) I don't feel guilty necessarily but I wonder if my brother would have a even existed if my mom had been allowed to keep me um because she had him she was still in high school when she got pregnant with my brother and he was two years younger than me a existed or b if he would have turned out completely different having an older sister and also i theorized that because my mom was forced to give me up that she struggled a lot with depression and made poor decisions and things like that if she would have even just been a better mom for him if yeah. I had still been around in the family, at least, you know, and, um, but you know, it's something we'll never know. So I don't even talk to my brother. Cause he's, he, he had a rough time, but he could make better choices also. And I'll just mm-hmm. leave it at that. 
you know like he he could make better choices and he doesn't choose that so i've connected with his daughter my niece who is 16 and um hopefully demonstrate to her that somebody in her family is not a turd so (laughs) (laughs) on her dad's side so yeah anyway um i've been on it's so easy to talk to you every time i'm in one of these conversations with another adoptee it's like we could just go for hours and hours it was like that was desiree too um so you were talking about starting a youtube channel yeah, I I've just bought the equipment. I've got my little setup going. I've got a couple things that I've ordered that are coming in. Um, but yeah, I want to I want to um, talk about something that I think doesn't get talked a lot about. And um, there's a lot of adoptees that have podcasts and YouTube channels that do like interview or conversation styles, but there's not anything that I've seen at least that talks about how we're portrayed in uh, media Mm -hmm. in like fictional stories and so I really and I I'm just I'm obsessed with movies and tv and um fiction and I'm a writer myself actually I I write uh stage plays oh yeah and so I I have like uh, this real special interest in how characters are written and how we portray um people in these fictional stories and so I've kind of decided that I'm going to start a YouTube channel and a podcast talking about adoptees and how we are portrayed in media you know talking about um the adoptee itself how the adoption story is portrayed um talking about how you know this is what they got right about this character or wow like they're they're really displaying this trauma response really well and this is why an adoptee might act this way but also to talk about some of the negative things and the like rosy things that they like to portray in media to yes. make adoption seem like this lovely beautiful wonderful thing um and i'm really excited about that i think that it's going to be um i'm hoping that it's going to be something where we can really dive into talking about the reasons why the media likes to cover adoption stories so much um, because there really are, when you start thinking about it, hundreds of them. Oh yeah. Um, Thousands probably where you're talking about like an adoptee or a foster youth or an orphan, like you could start naming off like basically every superhero. Oh (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Little orphan Annie and Cruella DeVille. Phoebe from Friends, Paige from Charmed, Dexter, Harry Potter. Like you could just keep going. Yeah. Um, I didn't see that coming with um when Disney did the live action movie with Cruella DeVille. I really didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. Okay. And I was like, really? It's always an adoptee or like, an orphan really? or a foster youth. <laughs> like I was like not expecting that. I'm like, damn. Like, Every really? time. <laughs> I know, right? And then Bojack. Every time. Did you watch Bojack? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Like, I was so into it. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And then there's, like, more than one adoption story in there. Oh, you yeah. Know? They like Friends, to throw them in. Friends kind of lost me at the end with Chandler. Oh, yeah. They adopting a... the twins. I'm going to have a lot to say about that. <laughs> it, 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 like, I was really into Friends. And then when that happened, I was like, really? So. I just don't watch the last season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, even the season when Phoebe's a surrogate for her brother, 
Like, mm-hmm. I have thoughts about surrogacy, too. I have thoughts about that, too, yeah. Because, I mean, it's still maternal separation. Even if it's a different egg, that baby doesn't know when they're bonded to that carrier. And, yeah. you know. But anyway, I try not to speak on it too much because my experience is domestic infant adoptee from a private adoption but I still have like opinions on surrogacy and I have learned things about foster care, but I try to focus what I talk about on my experience as much as I can. Yeah. So, well, kept you long enough. (laughs) I really, really am so glad that we were able to talk and have you on here. And, um, would you have any idea when you're going to launch your YouTube channel? Well, um, I think my last piece of equipment is coming in next, next week. And I've already started recording a few things. So probably within the next two or three weeks, there should be a video or two up. Cool. Um, I mean, I'm obviously going to do a few react things as well. I don't want to talk about just fictional media, but also how we're portrayed in like real life stories. The news. Yeah, the news. And so I want to also react to my own video that was made (laughs) about me. (laughs) Right. So that's probably going to be the first thing I post. I forgot. Reacting to my own video. One more question I want to ask. How did you come up with your screen name? Bellatora? Yeah. Um, Well, I first came up with it back when I uh, was doing a lot of gaming. Played a lot of Team Fortress. Uh, Pretty good at that pretty good at team portraits too um and i needed a name and i wanted to come up with something that was you know definitely like i'm a woman playing video games yeah but also <laughs> a strong one and so i um took latin because i went to catholic school uh, and i know that bellator means warrior Oh, that's so then I kind of mixed that in with like the, you know, with Italian, like to today, like a grammatical structure of Italian and um, added the feminine a. So now I have Bellatora, which is the word warrior in Latin. Okay, that's great. I was just like, where did that even come from? Like, I had no idea. Yeah. And I mean, and now that I've started this, when I started doing adoption stuff, I was like, you know what, I'm going to keep that name. Because I am a little bit of a warrior talking about this kind of stuff. We're all warriors. On a platform, it's mm-hmm. it's not easy. <laughs> no, no, it's not. We are like all of us that speak out about it and try to change that common narrative that all adoption is inherently good. And it's not even so much as painting it as negative. It's more like painting it like realistically. Yeah. That it's complex and it's not just good. It's not just bad. It is a lot. Extremely complicated. (laughs) Yes. It's not as simple as we want a baby. We're going to get one. No, there's so much more to it than that. Yeah. People forget that we're humans with complex thoughts and emotions, you know? Right. We're like an afterthought. Yeah. Um. Anytime I see those videos of like we just met or meeting our adopted child for the first time, my brain goes to the crying woman sitting alone in a room somewhere in the hospital, yeah. you know? So anyway. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for being willing to do this. Thank you for and, having uh, me. Yeah. It was a great talk. And uh, I'll let you know when I get it uploaded. Awesome. Sounds good. <laughs>
All right. I'm gonna stop Thank you. Yeah.